So preparing this Dharma talk felt felt particularly vulnerable. I felt a certain resistance to it in a way. It's about control and anger. Um, and so I'll, I'll begin talking about the second chakra a little bit. The second chakra is slightly below the navel. Um, controls quite a bit. It develops early in childhood. It develops during what what Freud called the anal stage, the, the stage around toilet training and all that. Um, it governs, among other things, our relation to a very animal kind of experience, an experience of being in sexuality, in exercise, in dance, in motion, movement of the body. Um, it governs our response to what you might call the the watery aspect of life, the aspect of life that is in flow, um, the aspect of life that we can't really control because it's it's in uncontrollable flow. Um, and if we're well balanced in our sec- our second chakra, then we're able to adapt. We're able to go with the flow. We're able to face the unknown and the uncontrollability of the unknown with ease. Um, if we're not very well balanced in our our second chakra, then um, then we lock up, then there's fear, then there's wanting to control and anxiety in the face of the unknown and this sort of thing. Um, it controls all kinds of, of retention release dynamics. You know, the people who are purgers, the people who are hoarders, the, the people who talk nonstop, the people who never talk, the people who gush emotions, the people who never show an emotion, the people who can't stop spending money, the people who compulsively save money, you know, all the ways that the spigot of life gets stuck all the way in the on position or all the way in the off position. Um, and it also governs just our, when we're healthy in our second chakra, it, it governs all the the forms of healthy release, whether that is something as simple as healthy bowel movements or healthy orgasms, but also forgiveness, you know, admitting I'm wrong, you know, showing vulnerability, all these sorts of things, you know, giving up, you know, needing to be right, all those sorts of things. And so all of those... um, when we're not, you know, when we didn't, you know, for example, if we did not have ideal parenting, we might not be fully adapted in our second chakra. Um, and I'm intrigued by, how can I say? You might say that there's a, a continuum of the people who are... Um, the people who are really good at at uh, being on time and being organized and being precise, but might have a little trouble going with the flow. And then the people who are really good at going with the flow, but they're not necessarily good at showing up on time or being reliable, that sort of thing. Um, and I, I'm just going to take a guess that probably the people who are in that, that other side of the spectrum probably you're not likely to make it to a Monday night meditation, you know. Um, and so I, I imagine that many people like me, it's, you know, a, 
negotiating how well do we let go, how well do we go with the flow, how well do we let go of control. Um, And so thinking about that and also thinking about the anger related to that. And it was really occurring to me this week that we have this single word in English, anger. But there's so many different flavors of anger. And you could say that in some ways each one of the chakras, each one of the lower chakras, has its own flavor of anger. There's one kind of anger associated with heartbreak. There's a very different kind of anger associated with the third chakra, my boundaries being violated. There's a very different kind of anger in the second chakra around control issues or, you know, I should have control over that, you know, this sort of thing. And then a first chakra anger around, you know, bol- you know, someone saying that I don't belong to be here or made, made to feel like I'm not worthy to be here, you know. And I think though they often get conflated, you know, say a, a dysfunctional romantic breakup, you know, I'll, I'll be heartbroken and then the person violated my boundaries and, you know, tweaked my control issues and made me feel like I don't belong. And, you know, you get kind of a red blend of the different, different flavors of anger. Um, and, but I think it's really interesting to try and, and suss those out and, and become as it were a, a connoisseur of different kinds of anger. Um, and so this week I was feeling a lot into just the anger around control. Um, I think we all, how can I say, I think anyone who's done meditation for a while, probably we don't have massive control issues about petty things in everyday life, you know? I mean, there are some people like that, but, um, you know... Let, let's say that folks who are meditating for a while are often good at letting go of the petty ups and down kind of things. Um, but it's really funny. We're, we're compassionate and, and kind until we're not. You know, we're disattached until we're not. You know, and we all have those edges. You know, and so it's just interesting to explore what what's at that edge. And it it's pertinent, I think, in particular, um, when we start to contemplate growing older. Um, there are, you know, there are some people, of course, who in full command of their powers die young, you know, and. And there is a, a shockingly small portion of the population that are living their daily life more or less on their own terms until, say, a day or two before they die. You know, what happens to a lot of people is that there's a more gradual loss of control over time, you know, and that's very challenging. And it called to mind a passage from T.S. Eliot that I want to share. This is from the Four Quartets of T.S. Eliot. Some little getting the last of the Four Quartets. And it's this dream sequence that he's describing. He's walking on these empty streets and he meets this spiritual teacher. And, and as often is, is true in a dream, the spiritual teacher is kind of a, a compound of many figures. Um, and they have a, an interaction, but this is what the spiritual teacher says to Eliot. 
Let me disclose the gifts reserved for age to set a crown upon your lifetime's effort. First, the cold friction of expiring sense without enchantment, offering no promise but bitter tastelessness of shadow fruit as body and soul begin to fall asunder. Second, the conscious impotence of rage at human folly and the laceration of laughter at what ceases to amuse. And last, the rending pain of reenactment of all that you have done and been, the shame of motives late revealed, and the awareness of things ill done and done to others' harm, which once you took for exercise of virtue. Then fool's approval stings and honor stains. From wrong to wrong the exasperated spirit proceeds, unless it can be restored by that refining fire where you must move in measure like a dancer. And so again, the image of the dancing. Um, I find that passage incredibly uh, uh, challenging in many ways. Um, And in particular, that idea of, you know, things ill done and done to others harm, which, which at the time I thought was virtuous, you know, and I can, I can think of all too many examples from my life where I thought I was doing the right thing, and looking back, I realized I was just being a, an insensitive jerk, you know. So um, I'm struck by all this, and um, I guess one thing I would say as I've been exploring this anger around control, that there's something precious about it in the sense that all anger has in its core some kind of vulnerability, some kind of caring. And the vulnerability that I, that I am beginning to discover in this anger around control is what I would call the deep vulnerability of human life itself. Just the deep un- vulnerability of what it is to walk through this world with an exquisitely sensitive animal body, and an exquisitely sensitive psyche, you know, and and what it means to be able to relax into that vulnerability, you know, not not you know react as if something is wrong with the fact that we're vulnerable as humans, but just to relax into that. Um, so I'll also share in this context. Um, you're probably familiar with the the traditional. Serenity prayer, and as as some of you know, I've I've after meditating on that prayer for a while, I've actually written my own version. It's so it's a slightly expanded version of the Serenity prayer, which I'll I'll recite now. May I take deep responsibility for all the consequences of my actions, both intentional and unintentional. May I take deep responsibility for my emotional states. May I take deep responsibility for everything I control and everything over which I have some kind of influence. May I accept complete surrender toward all those aspects of life that are entirely beyond my control and influence. May I cultivate tremendous trust and acceptance wherever my control and influence ends. May I relax into the deep vulnerability of human life. And between what I control and what I do not, 
what I influence and what I do not, may I have the wisdom, the courage, and the insight to know the difference. So that's the version that I say every day. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. Oops, and I don't want to share screen. No, I don't want to do that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How did I do that? Stop that. I wanted to share, just share the quote sheet. There we go. Okay. So the Zoomies have the quote sheet. is the T.S. Eliot passage, which is certainly certainly merits a, a great deal of, of reading and reflection, and then my version of the serenity prayer beneath that. From Lao Tzu, the world is a sacred vessel which cannot be tampered with or grabbed after. To tamper with it is to spoil it, and to grasp it is to lose it. From the great 19th century preacher, Philip Brooks. Do not pray for easy lives, but pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the accomplishing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself and the richness of the life which has come to you by the grace of God. From Eric Erickson, the great psychologist. It is only in our lifetime that faith and change has gradually given way to a widespread fear of and superficial adjustment to change itself and a suspiciousness concerning faith itself. There's a lot there in that quote. Mary Oliver said simply, when the thumb of fear lifts, we are so much alive. Pema Chodron said, the Buddha taught that we're not actually in control, which is a pretty scary idea. But when you let things be as they are, you'll be much happier, more balanced, compassionate person. Bernie Glassman said, our tendency in life is to avoid things that frighten us. But in order to be whole, we need to go deeper and deeper into ourselves by reaching further and further into the things we fear. David Rico said, Humility means accepting reality with no attempt to outsmart it. Jack Canfield said simply, everything you want is on the other side of fear. Bell Hooks, whom we lost last year, said, the practice of love offers no place of safety. We risk loss, hurt, pain. We risk being acted upon by forces outside our control. Sharon Salzberg says, no matter how much we want it to be otherwise, the truth is we are not in control of the unfolding of our experiences. Very simple. Carolyn Mace says, 
Fate is how your life folds when you let fear determine your choices. A path of destiny reveals itself to you, however, when you confront your fear and make conscious choices. Muji says, quite simply, your urge to control life controls you. Elaine de Bottom says, don't despair. Despair suggests you are in total control and know what com- what's coming. You don't. Surrender to events with hope. Steve Maraboli said, you must learn to let go. Release the stress. You never were in control anyway. Kelly Martin says, are you able to open to the possibility that what you want right now is not what you need? If it was what you needed, it would be in your life right now, and it would come effortlessly. Mark and Angel Chernoff said, when you stop worrying about what you cannot control, you have time to change the things you can control, and that changes everything. And finally, Francis Harold Cook says, the object of Zen is not to kill all feeling and become anesthetized to fear, to pain and fear. The object of Zen is to free us to scream loudly and fully when it is time to scream.